Welcome to the Christchurch Manchester Theology Podcast. The CCM School of Theology meets monthly on Saturday mornings at Luther King House in Manchester. For more information about the training that we offer or about our church in Manchester, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Thank you, and hi everyone, good morning, it's nice to be here, um, we are just discussing, I was here three years ago uh, teaching in this course as well, so it's nice to be back, um, uh, yeah, having moved past that era of doing everything online, uh, it's good to be here. Um, we were just chatting earlier and somebody was saying that the last session you had, uh, one of the ladies here was in stitches, is finding it very humorous, because Dave Devonish was talking about culture, I don't know who else was here for that, but I have the joy of talking about suffering today, so... I do my best, but I can't guarantee as many laughs. Um, so, uh, as Tom said, my name is Rebecca Whittlesey. I live in London, where I work for City Hope Church. And this is my second ever trip to Manchester, the first one being when I was here three years ago. So it's lovely to be here. I had a very nice evening with Nikki, very hospitable. So uh, thanks for having me. Um, and just a quick caveat before we get going. Um, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure every speaker on this course feels the same, but we have these enormous topics to cover and uh, we have to sort of take a, make a choice about how we do it or through which lens we're going to look. So when we get to talking about the, the doctrine of suffering or suffering in the world, really I've elected to do it through the wisdom literature of the Old Testament because that's what we're looking at. And so <clears throat> there will be many ways in which you may come away thinking um, there, there are some things missing um, and I want to start with that caveat because no doubt as you look at things like the doctrine of Christ and prayer and kingdom, all of those things actually have a, an impact on how we think about suffering because we believe in a God who's active and alleviates suffering and hears prayer. And all of those things, notwithstanding, we are going to look at suffering particularly through the lens of wisdom literature. So I say that now. I'll come back to it again at the end. Um, but that's that. Okay. <clears throat> so, wisdom literature um, in the Old Testament. You've got some notes that I've put together for you. I'll try and make it clear uh, where we are as we go through them. Um, so, the first thing I thought was helpful to do, really, is just to stop and think about what wisdom is, um, define some things. Uh, and uh, the first thing, at, at great cost, actually, to a couple of people working hard for the last 15 minutes. We've managed to get a video up. So uh, this is just a, to start us thinking, really. There's a guy called Jordan B. Peterson. Some of you, no doubt, familiar with him. He's not a Christian. Or is he? I don't know, actually. I mean, he might be now. Um, but he's a Canadian psychologist. He's very interesting. And he's written a couple of books, one called 12 Rules for Life, I think, and then another one imaginatively named 12 More Rules for Life. Um, but he's dispensing wisdom, actually, and he's got a lot of traction, and he's quite an interesting guy. So if we can watch the video, Tom, I think it's from 33 seconds to the end, just to get us thinking. Well, there's the Old Testament view. That's the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That's a good one. I think wisdom is, in part, the willingness to come to terms the knowledge of your own capacity for malevolence, that's wisdom. The 
the desire to rectify that, the wish to set the world on a pathway that leads it closer to heaven and farther away from hell, that's wisdom. The humility to know that there's more things that you don't know than that you know, and that you should be open to what you don't know when people inform you of it, because it's better to learn than it is to walk nose first into a wall, or blindfolded off a cliff. The knowledge that you don't have the right to be a judge of being without having given it your utmost, that's wisdom. The knowledge, wisdom is also the knowledge that hell is real enough so that you should do everything you can to avoid either inhabiting it or producing it. That's what I learned from, uh, from psychological analysis of the history of the 20th century. Hell is real enough. And, and you, you're, you're duty bound, let's say, you're honor bound, you're ethically bound to do the opposite of whatever produces those hellish circumstances. Okay, so that's, that's Jordan Peterson in, sitting in his study being asked questions online by people just dialing in and that somebody asked for his definition of wisdom and that's what he had to say. That's a slightly old clip and some of you will know he's, you know, talked about faith and, and Christianity and so on since. But <clears throat> the interesting thing about that and elsewhere Peterson says this, this is a quote from him, he says, we need a narrative metaphysic that holds us together, which basically just means like a story behind reality. You know, we need a story that explains things that has to be predicated on something transcendent and absolute. He says, if you lose that, then you fall for something else. And you may have heard the, the saying, if you, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. So, so his point is that we need, we as human beings need a story behind reality which is based on something absolute. Otherwise, everything just collapses. Um, and I was just thinking, you know, when it comes to the search for wisdom, what is it that people fall for? <laughs> or what is it that people listen to? And Jordan Peterson sort of casting around for a definition of wisdom. is sort of seizing at lots of biblical concepts. Um, the fear of the Lord he started with, which we'll, we'll look at today. Uh, and, he's, and he's looking around and he suggests, of course, that in order to find wisdom, we've, we've got to base it on something transcendent or higher. So that's interesting. That that's, sets the scene nicely for us today. And you may have heard the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit and wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Um, you know, you can know things, but actually to live out wisdom is what we're looking for and of course you've definitely heard it said like Jordan Peterson quoted the that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and we find that in Proverbs which is partly what we're looking at today in wisdom literature so and of course I don't know if you realize this but um, we I'm sure you do we're all actually being bombarded all the time by people telling us what's 
what's wisdom, you know, what's wise, what are the things to be thinking and saying that make you a wise person in today's culture. Um, and so we, like, like Jordan Peterson, have got to find the basis, you know, if there's a basis that doesn't move, if there's a base that doesn't move about how to live wisely, then uh, we, we've got much more hope, really. And I don't know what you think. I don't know if anybody's got thoughts what, what's the kind of wisdom literature of today because, of course, the Old Testament wisdom literature we're going to look at. But is there, is there an equivalent today of wisdom literature, I wonder? Is it, is it YouTube videos of people like this? Is that, is that the wisdom literature of the day? Is it... You know, all the, I don't know who the influencers or the, the, I don't know about you lot, but I have, I have, so I have teenage children and they watch a lot of YouTube and they listen to people's wisdom for life. Some of it's not so wise, some of it's pretty good actually. TED Talks, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the, is that the wisdom literature of today? Um, it's certainly likely to be video rather than reading. Um, and so, and are people still looking for wisdom? I'd say yes, they are. I was listening to a song the other day and it really caught my attention because it's a Paul Simon song called, um, I think it's called Wartime Prayers. And this line just jumped out at me. He says, I'm trying to tap into some wisdom. Even a little drop will do. I want to rid my heart of envy and cleanse my soul of rage before I'm through. I thought, wow, that's pretty profound, actually. Ridding my heart of envy and cleansing my soul of rage, that's wisdom. We're trying to find some wisdom. And of course, in the ancient world, wisdom literature is a very uh, common genre. So not only amongst Israel, but in other ancient cultures like Mesopotamia and Egypt, we find wisdom literature. And uh, I'm sure you'll agree, that's why you're here, that the Bible's wisdom literature is a better place to start than any of those other things that we've talked about. Uh, and there's good reasons for that, because as Jordan Peterson says... It's got, you, your wisdom has to be predicated on something absolute, something outside of yourself. Otherwise, it just collapses in on itself. And uh, one of the people we're going to look at today, Solomon, he, he needed wisdom to rule a nation, didn't he? He knew he needed wisdom because he had a big job to do. But then I was thinking, well, you know, but I don't know about you, but every day, in the everyday, I, I, I need wisdom. It's not just for ruling a nation. It's the everyday, isn't it? It's often the case that choices, decisions, um, they're, not that, they're not simple. It's not a simple case of, of right and wrong. You know, we need wisdom. And uh, the, the letter of James in the New Testament, sometimes called wisdom literature of the New Testament, it's got quite a proverbial feel to it. And this is what James writes about wisdom. He says, the wisdom from above is first pure then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, without favouritism and hypocrisy. So he's saying there's a wisdom that's from above that actually looks very different from the wisdom around us that people might call worldly wisdom. And the reason for that is because all of the wisdom in the Bible, of course, although it may come from human beings, points towards uh, the, the one who represents ultimate wisdom, Christ. So as he's the, 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 the image of the invisible God, the all-wise God, Christ is like the, 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 the ultimate wisdom and all the wisdom in the, in, the book, in the Bible points towards him. And as we're going to see, two of the protagonists today, Job and Solomon, are like types of Christ. You know, they're people who in their lives 
um, foreshadow and point towards Jesus. So uh, we'll see that as we go. So just before we get into those books then, I'm just going to pray for wisdom. Because <laughs> we need it, don't we? <clears throat> Father, we just come to you today. We want to sit at your feet. We want to learn from you. We want, Holy Spirit, you to be our guide uh, to inform our minds, Lord, but to change us as well, to change our hearts, to, to be our guide today. Um, Spirit of wisdom, I pray, help me uh, to communicate and help us, Lord, as we come to you to respond, to, to expand our minds in order that we might expand our worship and our, our, our love and, of you and our service of you. Just come and help us, I pray. Speak to us, Lord, uh, particularly help me to... Say what you want me to say today and, and to, for us to, to draw close to you, the only wise God. Amen. So the wisdom books uh, in, of the Old Testament. One thing that's important with wisdom books is that we need all of them together to get a really rounded view of wisdom. If you take one on their own, you can get a little bit of a skewed view um, of wisdom. So if you read Proverbs on its own, you can... Um, get a little bit of a simplistic view of life at times. If you read Ecclesiastes, you'd just be downright depressed. Um, and, and so if you read one of them, it's like you've got a partially done puzzle, which, as we all know, is a really frustrating thing. So we, we need them all together. And we need all of them for balance. And you may have heard this, the, if you're familiar with the Bible Project videos, then they use this analogy of a round table of a sort of council of wisdom. So there's people sitting around a table, and together they help us to find out what wisdom is. So uh, around the table, this council of wisdom, they're going to help us answer big questions about life. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll come to that. Because I'm not really going to talk about Song of Songs. I'll explain why in a minute. Uh, good question. <clears throat> so these, these um, people around the table, they're not, what they're not doing is teaching doctrine directly. It's not like, you know, pro propositional teaching. They're not telling the story of Israel or those kind of things which we've seen in other, um, in other texts. Um, and what they are doing, however, is using insights of life to teach us wisdom. So how do we live in a world um, that is in a way that's fitting to live in God's world, in God's created order? How do we live with wisdom in a place where other people live <laughs> uh, and where there's where wisdom and folly exist. And they do it through poetry, not prose, which is another challenge. So um, for me, I'm not a poet. I'm far from it. You know, poetry is not my language at all. And so we're not only reading a very different style um, of, um, of information and of communication, we're reading Hebrew poetry as well. So um, it's not propositional teaching. It's much more complex than that. <clears throat> Sounds like fun, doesn't it? And so around the metaphorical table, then, we've got the, the young teacher uh, who uh, represents Proverbs. She's knowledgeable about uh, all areas of life and uh, in every aspect of life, family, work, um, sin and righteousness, justice, she sees wisdom is, is like a thread running through it. And she gives us like, maxims for life, you know, principles and guidelines for life that help us live in a way that's going to cause flourishing uh, and be good for us. But I don't know if you've noticed, life is not quite that simple. 
So, so next to her at the table is this guy who we call the middle-aged critic, who's uh, Ecclesiastes he represents. And he's noticed that making the right choices, um, pursuing wisdom doesn't always lead to success and long life. Sometimes the world seems very unfair, seems pointless. Um, and what do we make of that? At times, nothing seems to make sense, if we're honest. And uh, so he's a little bit world-weary and weather-beaten, but he brings his own perspective. And then thirdly, around the table, we've got this wise old man who's seen a lot of the world, he's been around the block, and he brings a different perspective. And, and the old man, that's the book of Job. And three of them together help us come to this kind of rounded, mature view of wisdom um, as they exhort us together to choose wisdom and to base that wisdom on something transcendent and absolute. And you've noticed, back's noticed, I haven't put the two lovers at the table uh, who represent Song of Songs. Sometimes people do put Song of Songs in this category. Um, it's very different. It's a very different theme. Um, mostly for a matter of time, I've not included it. It's a book, as I'm sure you know, of Hebrew love poetry about a couple. Uh, it's laden with this intense love, desire, lots of beautiful garden imagery. Um, and, and while it's... Didn't, and I'm sure you're familiar with this idea, while it is in the genre of Hebrew love poetry and it's about a couple declaring their love for one another, it's also read allegorically as a picture of Christ's love for the church um, and this desire we all have to be loved and known and to return to a, a paradise garden where we fully know God. So, sorry, but that's, I'm not gonna, we're not going to go there today. That's all I'm going to say. Um, I, I can recommend some books on it, though, if you want. So, so we're going to start with Proverbs. Ready for that? Okay. So we have this brilliant young teacher, as I've said, who has, who has wisdom. And wisdom in uh, the Hebrew word for wisdom, uh, we've already talked about the difference between wisdom and knowledge. And the, the word for wisdom that's used here is very much kind of embodied, applied, lived out wisdom. Okay. It's not just about having the right knowledge. Uh, and so it's no surprise that Proverbs tells us that be the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, says it in Proverbs 1, 7 and Proverbs 9, 10. Um, and I, th I believe uh, it's so vital. That's actually just a really helpful place to start. And so every, you know, every culture and language has its own... Um, set of proverbs or maxims for life, but there's a quote here from the Africa Bible commentary which is helpful. I'm just going to read it. It's in your notes, I think. Although the thrust of the message of all proverbial law is to live wisely in the context in which we find ourselves, biblical proverbs are given in the context of the scriptures and therefore in the context of the special revelation that God has given to humankind. Biblical wisdom cannot be properly understood unless we relate it to the covenant relationship between God and his people. This statement applies equally to the so-called absolute statements made in Proverbs, to Job's struggle with God's in seeming injustice, and to Solomon's struggle in Ecclesiastes with the many injustices and contradictions he observes in human life. All these seemingly intractable problems have to be related to the sovereign creator and lord of the universe and his mysterious ways of dealing with his creation 
and his covenant people. So every, you know, there's great sayings. I love some proverbs like, you know, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. There's some great sayings, but of course, in the context of the proverbs of the Bible, there's much more for us, much more richness, and it's got to be connected to our understanding of God. But I don't know, I've certainly seen that the book of Proverbs is, is often used and sometimes abused, um, and a book which can often fall foul to the to proof texter, um, or that, what I call a kind of bumper sticker theology, you know, where you kind of pluck a verse out of context. Um, it, it's not always that helpful um, to do that. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of ironic in a way, because I think what's helpful to think of Proverbs is, is more a, a bunch of observations about life. So it's... Um, so King Solomon, who, who wrote m- most of Proverbs, he's making observations, principles, really, about life. Uh, and a summary, I suppose, of what he's saying or what Proverbs is trying to say to us is in your notes. Those who follow God's wise design for living avoid the perils that others fall into and enjoy life on earth as God meant it to be lived. All of which is broadly borne out in, in experience, but not not simplistically so. Uh, So it's a book of observations, of principles, of advice and guidelines, but they're not, it's not really a book of promises and guarantees. There are some things in Proverbs which are unequivocally true, for sure, but when when we pluck a verse out and try and apply it universally, we often come unstuck. So as I've said, the author is King Solomon, mostly, Um, It's a book written by Solomon to steer his son on the right path, the path of wisdom, not folly. Um, For those of you who are interested, Solomon reigned uh, 40 years, that classic number for king's reigns in the Old Testament, 971 to 931 BC was the reign of Solomon. And, as you may recall, in the book of 1 Kings, when we hear the story, we read the narrative about Solomon becoming king, He's given this extraordinary offer by God, isn't he? Extraordinary offer. He just, God says to him, what do you want? Have whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And Solomon recognises his need, or his great need for wisdom and his own lack. And so he asks for wisdom and God grants it. I'm just going to read it actually from 1 Kings 4, from verse 29. It says, God gave Solomon very great wisdom, discernment and breadth of understanding, as vast as the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else. His fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. He composed 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. That's very accurate. He would speak of trees from the cedar in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows in the wall. He would speak of animals and birds and reptiles and fish. People came from all the nations to hear the wisdom of Solomon. They came from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So, he's wise. He gains wisdom. And his desire in the book of Proverbs is to pass this wisdom on to the next generation. Uh, If you're interested in the kind of breakdown of the book, I've put that in your notes. Uh, I won't go into it. But we could, how to sort of section up the book. And... As the introduction in chapter 1 states, it's like in the first section, we see wisdom and folly kind of 
set out for us. They're personified, they're kind of made into individuals and they both are sh sort of shouting out after people, like calling after people saying, come my way, come, come my way, follow my path. And the king writes to his son to say, please follow the path of wisdom and don't go after folly. So what we read in, uh, about wisdom, and as I say, these two people are personified. They're not, they're not to be women, as it were, but they are personifications of wisdom and folly. So they're not characters as such, not people in the story, but they, are, they represent wisdom and folly. So wisdom cries out in the street, in the squares she raises her voice. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called happy. Doesn't wisdom call out? Doesn't understanding make her voice heard? At the heights overlooking the road, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates leading into the city, at the main entrance, she cries out, People, I call out to you. My cry is to the children of Adam. Learn to be shrewd, you who are inexperienced. Develop common sense, you who are foolish. Listen, listen to wisdom, for I speak of noble things. And what my lips say is right. Whereas, we read, folly is a rowdy woman. She is gullible and knows nothing. She sits by the doorway of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling to those who pass by, who go straight ahead on their paths. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten secretly is tasty. But he doesn't know that the departed spirits are there, that her guests are in the depths of Shoal. It's quite a contrast, isn't it? Wisdom and folly. And then the bulk of the rest of the book is taken up with these like proverbial sayings which give us guidance about how to appropriate wisdom, how to live out wisdom. And I'm sure, I'm sure some of you, I know people who've got little verses in Proverbs that are real favourites. They really cling on to and they quote a lot which is great because there's principles in the book of Proverbs which are really good things to memorise. They're easy to memorise. You know, I know some people who memorise whole books of scripture. I'm just amazed. Like a, a whole New Testament letter or something. It's extraordinary if you can do that. But actually to remember a proverb is very easy and we can, we can recall those things to mind very easily. But what, what we shouldn't do though is take those and and apply them as, or, or receive them as promises or guarantees of things, because I think for many people that can lead to disaster. So principles such as, famous ones you may be aware of, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. That's a great, that's a great maxim. If you've got plans, commit them to God. That is wise living. Train children in the right way, and when old, they will not stray. Again, it's a good principle, isn't it? Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life and honour. And these things are good and true. They're godly wisdom, important to bear in mind, but not guarantees. It's not the writer's intention to give us a promise. This is not God speaking. It's, it's Solomon making observations about life. So, yeah, in general, if you want to teach someone the way of faith, start them young. Teach your kids the way of the Lord. But it's not a guarantee, is it, that when they grow up, they're going to love and serve Jesus. I think we know that. Um, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Great general principle for life. In Proverbs 3, 1 to 2, we read this. 
My child, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and abundant welfare they will give you. Um, I, was just, I read that and then I thought of Stephen in the book of Acts. And I thought, well, Stephen was a faithful man, full of the spirit, but he, his life and many others would suggest there are exceptions to this rule and many people we would know. So, so we find in Proverbs advice about all kinds of situations and there isn't much in life that isn't covered in there, actually. Um, and great principles and guidelines for life, great ways to apply ourselves to godly wisdom as long as we approach it correctly. You get what I'm getting at there? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, great. So because of time, we're we're just going to look at, in Proverbs, this, um, there's a a bookends of Proverbs, which uh, uh, are wise women. So at the beginning and at the end of the book of Proverbs, we have a wise woman. That's the way the book starts and finishes. So as we've already heard, Lady Wisdom... She calls out to passers-by at the beginning in chapter 1. That's in your notes. I'm not going to read it. But basically what she says is the offer is there. Wisdom is here. I I am here for you. The offer is there. Uh, If you decide not to follow my way and you decide to follow the way of folly, it says wisdom essentially will look on your foolishness and say, I told you so. It will not go well with you and I warned you. And so this is, this is Solomon's way of imploring his son and the next generation to follow wisdom. Um, and as it says at the end, <clears throat> or from verse 29, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and be sated with their own devices. For waywardness kills the simple and the complacency of fools destroys them. But those who listen to me will be secure and will live at ease without dread of disaster. So again, it's saying, well, here's your choice. What will you choose? Wisdom, as God sees wisdom, or will you refuse it? And then at the very end of Proverbs, we have the personification of wisdom in, uh, in the form of this poem, what is often called the wife of noble character, uh, and it's the finale of the whole book about wisdom. And it's a, so it's an acrostic poem, which means that every, in the Hebrew, every line starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is meant to convey a kind of completeness of wisdom. So this personification, this woman of wisdom at the end of the book, she represents a, a kind of completeness of wisdom. Um, and rather than, I don't know, some of you women in the room might have, have, been, in, might have been taught, you know, the sort of been in situations where she is held up as like the, um, you know, the ultimate example of a woman or a wife, and this is what you should aspire to be. I actually think that's uh, not that helpful. Um, actually, I much prefer to see her as godly wisdom in life in action, this Hebrew word chokmah, the wisdom lived out, we see in this woman, in all sorts of ways in life. Uh, And interestingly, the word, I don't know, the version in your notes, I think, says a capable wife at the beginning, who can find. Of course, wife of noble character is how she's often translated. 
And the word that, that's translated there, noble, or in, in the case of this, capable, um, is actually a word that in other contexts is much more used to mean strength. It's used of armies, of warriors. Um, it, it, you, you might say a mighty wife. It would be a much better translation of that word. And in fact, in the um, updated edition of the NRSV, it does say a woman of strength who can find, which is a much more faithful translation, I think, of the word. Interesting. And I, I thought to myself, well, noble, that's a funny word. It's not really a word I would use of people very much. And if we do, it's to do with the fact that they're nobility, you know. But actually, when I did this session somewhere else, a guy said, well, in the, in the lab, we talk about noble gases, and they're gases that can't be corrupted. And I thought, oh, that's a... That's a nice touch. Um, I remember that, made a point of that. So, so what I thought we'd do, because um, you don't want to listen to me all day, is on your tables, turn, look at the, the poem about the wife of strength, the wise woman, and just look at all the ways, uh, just spend a few minutes looking at all the ways in life where this proverbial woman applies wisdom and what that looks like, and then we'll come back and just feedback some thoughts uh, in a few minutes. Is that okay? Good.
quiet. Try quiet bunch. They're yes. quite quiet. Feedback in a minute, and I'll get people talking. Yeah, yeah. It's a cliche thing, isn't it? That end of Proverbs. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> yeah, she's a boss. I mean, she, you know, you read it, it's like, I, mean, I want to be like her. Yeah, too right. That's the idea, isn't it? But, yeah. Yes, we should run some training courses for our men on how to be like yeah. Lady Wisdom, <laughs> the wife of the character. It's in the Hebrew layout, mm. it's followed by Ruth. Yes. And now Ruth is described as, yeah. I don't know the Hebrew word, yeah. the same word. Yeah. And then yeah. a chapter later, Boaz, yeah. same word again. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sort of yep. Absolutely. It's good. Right, so yeah. so we should we should be having a coffee about five minutes, is that? Yeah, you, yeah, uh, yeah. Do it, that makes sense once you've yeah. wrapped this up. Yeah, yeah, this one, little this break little session. Yeah, yeah. great. Well, just before you take the flag and just give them a break and yeah, 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 yeah. At least it's only a morning, isn't it? It's the when you exactly. do the whole day, then it's the after lunch session, which is always oh a, yeah, that's really always yeah. a tough yeah. one. We just we just done God's big story, you know, the course. Yeah, yeah. Our it's basically the same course as yeah. this. Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, yeah, and it's that. But we do all day. It's like nine till three. It's like. Yeah, do you have yeah. a base? Yeah, we have a base, yeah, yeah. So we do a Saturday, but yeah, it's a longer day. So. Are you guys going up to the um, Catalyst Leaders? Yeah, thing? yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. can be there? Yeah, we're going to go for the Friday. And okay. Um, okay. There's too many other things. Yeah, that. okay, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, now we're going, so good. Right, let's. Uh, Okay, shall we just come back and then just share any things that have really stood out to us from the poem, The Wife of Strength? What, what things have really sort of stood out about the lived out wisdom of this incredible woman? Anything? She's reliable. Yep. She plans. Compassionate. Sorry? She has patience. Yeah. Yeah. She's discerning, did you say? Yeah. Shows diligence. Yeah. She's no slouch, is she? She knows her own value. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. One of my favourites is she laughs at the, t the time, days to come. She laughs at the future. That sense of settled, kind of gives you a sense of settled security about what's to come. She's a boss, isn't she? 
<laughs> but she's not a woman, you know, she's a representative, she's a poem that uh, represents what it looks like, as far as Proverbs is concerned, to have wisdom and to live in a way with godly wisdom. So that's, that's yeah, Lady Wisdom, the book of Proverbs, that's the first member of our Council of Wisdom. She represents and points to the, obviously, to the fullest expression of wisdom, always, which is Christ, so you could say even this wife of strength, and all the way through the book of Proverbs, we're pointing towards the all-wise God manifest in Jesus. So just going to finish this session on Proverbs by actually reading from uh, the Apostle Paul as he writes to Corinth at the beginning of his first letter. He writes this, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Okay. That was a whistle stop tour of the book of Proverbs. Um, there's a great book, uh, it's in your notes, I think, the Keller book on uh, Proverbs is a really nice little daily devotional if you want to go through Proverbs in that way. We've got one in the loo at home. Uh, the Way of Wisdom by, by Tim Keller is a really, a really nice, accessible, devotional book through Proverbs, if you want to look at that. So I think we're just going to have a short break uh, before we move into session two, which is Ecclesiastes. Grab a coffee, another pastry. We're back shortly. <laughs> <laughs> 